Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the GFFN Euro Show. I'm your host, Nathan Staples, and joining me this week are French football journalist Jonathan Johnson and GFFN writers Eric Devine and Philippe Bargiel. It's been a turbulent start to the European Championships, to say the least. The action on the field sometimes being eclipsed by incidents off it. However, there have been plenty of things to enjoy so far, and the good thing for us football fans is that it's only been the tip of the iceberg. But before we talk about all the news surrounding the European Championships, here are this week's headlines. First week of the European Championships have been marred by fan violence off the field. Incidents between Russian, English and local French fans in Marseille have hit the headlines, with Russian fans even climbing into the English stands after the game finished on Saturday evening. UEFA have reacted to these incidents by warning England and Russia that they could face expulsion from the tournament if there is any more fighting, with Russia being um, given a suspended um, sentence of, of being eliminated should any more issues happen. The FA have issued a plea to stop the nation, stop for the violence of the English fans, while a Russian FA official claimed their fans were defending the honour of their nation. There have also now this evening been unconfirmed reports of more tensions in Lille's. There's a video of England and Welsh fans um, based for the game in Lille, ready for the game against in uh, Lens on Thursday, and incidents with the Russian fans who play Slovakia in the city tomorrow. There have also been reported incidents in Lille from German and Ukraine fans, and in Nice with local fans reportedly attacking Northern Ireland fans, and supposedly in Paris where there was reported incidents with fans and Turkish supporters outside the ground. A Northern Ireland fan has died after suffering a fall in Nice. 24-year-old Darren Rogers from Ballymena fell about 26 foot from a promenade onto a rocky beach and police in France have said it was an accident and not in any way in disorder related. All of us at GFFN send our best wishes to his family and friends at this difficult time. The football and in Group A, France got off to a winning start Friday evening thanks to a late goal from Dimitri Payet to earn them a 2-1 victory over Romania. They topped the group just above Switzerland, who beat 10-man Albania 1-0 the following day. Wales won 2-1 against Slovakia after goals from Gareth Bale and Hal Robson Canoe, which puts them top of Group B after England were held to a one-all draw against Russia as Vasily Berezutsky scored in added time. Poland dominated their game against Northern Ireland but only managed a 1-0 victory with Adarish Milik scoring the winning winner as Germany slipped, slipped by Ukraine with a 2-0 win uh, with goals from Shotdran Mustafi and Bastian Schweinsteiger. Croatia put in an excellent performance against Turkey, but despite their numerous chances, Luka Modric's only goal was the difference before Spain eventually broke down the Czech Republic's a day later as Gerard Piquet's header saw them win 1-0. Ireland were a little unlucky to draw a one-all against Sweden, with Wes Hulan's goal being cancelled out by a Kieran Clark own goal before Italy put on a masterclass against the top-ranked team Belgium, running out 2-0 winners. And finally, Hungary caused the first upset of the tournament earlier today as they won 2-0 against 10-man Austria in Group F, while Portugal play Iceland in just under an hour. And that is all your news. And remember, to keep up to date, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com or follow us on Twitter at GFFN. 
and please follow our dedicated Euro channel at GFFN Euro 2016. Also, if you'd like to get involved with the show, if you're listening live, either write a question in our YouTube comments or tweet us at the GFFN show with your queries. We start tonight where, in all honesty, we would hope we would never have to. Uh, clashes between fans have dominated the headlines since the start of the tournament, with fights in Marseille around the game between England and Russia being the most significant. There are also reported incidents in other places around France. But, Philip, you were at the Stade Velodrome on Saturday. Tell us your experience. Um, well, my experience of the Stade Velodrome are very good. Uh, it's just um, I was I just happened to be in the riot at the Vieux-Port at uh, half past three in the afternoon, which was um, which I didn't really understand. I didn't I didn't sort of think it was a big deal. The problem was that um, we were um, we arrived at Marseille around um, half past one. Had to check in, in our in our hotels uh, very very quickly because people had to go. It was actually Airbnbs and very quickly people had to go to work. Um, and they were quite happy to go to work because uh, there's a whole place was full of English English fans. So there's a, there's a rooms there were 250,000. That's that's a bit much, I reckon. But anyway, and you can always you, you could you could uh, already um, hear the English fans uh, sing sing um, sing their songs and uh, being being absolutely pissed already. And it was you know it was uh, it was just before three o'clock, and when the riots actually happened. Um, you, I, I didn't actually believe it was the Russians taunting, uh, taunting the English. I said, well, well, why, why would they? They're, they're just so, so outnumbered. It turns out that uh, the, it was a very organised um, um, hooligan group who weren't drunk, who were completely sober, who knew what, would it, what, what they were doing, and who terrorised the whole city centre. No, so not just at the Vieux-Port, where clashes erupted um, on Thursday evening, Friday evening, and the whole day on Saturday. Uh, but um, uh, also in the fan zone, we were unable to go to the fan zone. We wanted to take the bus. The bus was not going to the fan zone because there was too much trouble. Um, and uh, we really struggled actually to get to the ground because uh, I think only one uh, bus line in the whole uh, city worked. And uh, that bus line thankfully um, took us to the tube and the tube took us to the stadium. Um, now in the stadium there was reports of uh, there being trouble as well. Um, well, when when uh, when I got there, uh, it was quite it was much more peaceful. The tension was was uh, nothing to do with what happened at the at the viewport or inside inside the inside the ground. Um, but uh, uh, as uh, it was uh, as the day got. Um, got on. It, it got even worse because the Russians actually rioted after they equalised, and I couldn't really believe it. I couldn't believe, you know, how 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 does this happen? Um, why? I, I don't really I don't really believe in segregation in those types of games because I actually bought my ticket by a Russian. Um, it says Russian Federation on it, and you can't really segregate. If you if you wanted, you you'd have uh, one massive England part, massive Russian part, and you do. But you always get the black market in those type of games, so it's extremely difficult to to, to segregate. And I can, I really sympathise with um, people who are in charge of that, especially when I see the stewards, because the stewards are, are basically people like me, only they're wearing a yellow shirt. And what what do you want? I mean, what do you expect them to do? It's not like they have weapons or anything, so you can't you can't really you, you can't really do anything. 
and I, I admit I was afraid when when the rioting started, and I thought um, I, I thought it would kick off even even worse uh, from the stadium to the center of town, uh, which is called Castellan, and um, thankfully that didn't happen. Thankfully that didn't happen, but uh, it was still uh, it was it was uh, still quite uh, quite a scary experience, and uh, I can I think I can safely say I'm never going to Marseille again, at least you know, for that type of game. Philip, I just wanted to talk about, you mentioned the stewards there. How was policing around and inside the ground as well? And also, how was getting into the stadium? How was the checks there? It was um, very light. It was very light. There was only, it was only one search, um, but... Uh, uh, it, they didn't. They didn't uh, ask us for IDs or anything. So basically, if uh, if a terrorist uh, wanted to uh, to go to the ground, all he had to do was uh, go on via GoGo and uh, spend lots of cash, or buy it on the black market. Uh, when you get out of the tube, there are lots of people who are selling tickets, um, for actually, actually for less uh, less money than I actually bought them. That's uh, just for the record. But no, I didn't. I didn't feel like it was a it was a particularly sour search of uh, of the people going inside the ground. And like I said, uh, the stewarding, I mean, they can't do anything if there's a right of um, so many people uh, just uh, just barging forward. Uh, I remember I went to Manchester City versus PSG uh, back in 2008, and there was, uh, of course, the uh, English fans taunting us, uh, singing You Surrender in the War, which I find quite funny, actually, and from two from two sides, I, uh, I don't, I don't get, I don't get uh, rolled up in that kind of stuff. But some PSG fans did, and they really wanted to uh, get past this steward wall, so to speak. But uh, you know, they had buttons, they had, they had, um, they had weapons to dissuade people from trying. In Marseille, you didn't have anything. You just had a very small, just a uh, couple of people, uh, just standing there saying, "Yeah, you can't, you can't go, you can't, you can't go through." But you know, if you really want to, we'll let you through. So very, very light. I mean, very. Um, I, I, I'm, yeah, I, not an expert on that, but I'm. Uh, I want to say that uh, France didn't really prepare that type of thing. I think uh, there's a lot of, of problems in the country aside from Euro 2016. Um, not to mention a massive, uh, massive train strike today, um, and uh, this just piles up uh, a lot of things. I mean, in Marseille, my. Um, uh, Hostess um, in Marseille uh, gave, gave me um, uh, a story which was quite uh, quite unbelievable. Saying, "Okay, he's got uh, he's got his eye uh, he's got his eyes bleeding or or uh, the part over his eyes bleeding, um, but uh, we can't take him to the hospital now because we don't have any gas. We we don't have enough gas, so so we might as well take as many injured as we can so we can get to the hospital." Because uh, because the, uh, the, the, the there's a gas shortage because people are on strike. It's just it's just loads of things going going on at at the same time, and the authorities just can't deal with it at all. So it's it's madness. It, it really is. And Jonathan, this is something we worried about occasionally last season with with issues with fans in Marseille and and occasionally in in different places across France, but. We never really expected something on the scale of this, did we? No, absolutely not. But you know, I think it's uh, it's it's all part and parcel. Um, 
you know, like Philip said, it's it's come at a very bad time. The, the, France don't only have to worry about uh, the Euros right now. You know, they've got to worry about the, the threat which has been hanging over them since at least uh, November. You know, if if not before, uh, you know, you you do have the strikes. You've also had uh, recent heavy rain and flooding, which has caused problems in many areas. You know, the the security presence is spread so thin. Uh, you know, it is very very disappointing uh, to to have seen this. Stuff. Kind of, this kind of stuff happen, but also at the same time it shouldn't be uh, that much of a surprise because I don't think that people could have expected that security would be uh, you know, absolutely rock solid uh, at every venue all the time during the tournament considering everything else that has, uh, you know, that has been going on in the last couple of weeks and months. Eric, then with that, that advice that there's been a lot of issues obviously economically and, and strikes with the trains and such in France, surely that UEFA should have helped out and, and created more planning and, and bring more help over from other countries, surely? Well, I mean, that's that's hard to say. I mean, it, are you talking in terms of actual manpower, as in, you know, a set of 500 Italian policemen are going to come help? I think that, you know, that's that's not a thing that, that makes sense to suggest because, I mean, after all, I mean, the reason that countries bid to host these tournaments is because they uh, anticipate, you know, anticipate an economic boom and that their their bid process uh, shows a demonstrable uh, ability to deal with these with these sorts of things. That they have the police capabilities, they have the uh, you know the, the the stadium capacity to to host these these types of tournaments. Uh, that being said, you know I feel like you know as as Philip rightly mentioned and as Jonathan said as well that you know I don't necessarily think that there's a, an inability uh, with France to deal with these things on a larger scale. I think that they're being sort of hamstrung by the by what else is going on. As far as actual security in the stadiums, uh, it, it would be nice if if there were some way for UEFA to, to aid in that. I mean, let's face it. You know, if there if there were to be some serious incident uh, beyond fan violence, uh, uh, there then I think that that's egg on UEFA's face as well as uh, the French organizers of the tournament as well. Uh, you know, given what we've seen, uh, you know, here in the United States as well, uh, there's still a lot of potential for violence, uh, you know, in this world. And if if the checks are as as light as as Philip said, and there's no actual police or, or armed forces presence at the stadia, you know, and people are hearing these reports, and if they're if you're you know someone who has this, these ideas in your head, it, it's it's going to be you're going to be you're going to feel encouraged. Honestly, it's not it's not a very ideal situation uh, from a lot, from a lot of perspectives. Yeah, and and thinking about reports we mentioned earlier, that it seems like there's been video footage of more clashes between England and Welsh fans together against Russians in Lille as Russian fans prepare for that game against Slovakia tomorrow, and English fans and Welsh fans were both recommended to stay in the city with their game in Lens on Thursday. Uh, Philip, after this has all happened, what sort of measures need to be put in place and what action needs to happen to prevent these kind of things from happening? The problem with France is that it's quite easy to get in. Um, you've got to, we just have to uh, have a, some kind of uh, a visa from, from Russia or anything, but once you're in the EU, you can go to France without any problem. You just take your car and uh, you don't get uh, security checks. There's a, a lot of hooligans in Eastern European countries and I think yes, the police is not um, 
has not prepared well enough for that type of game and has basically, basically to me the police um, thought that this was uh, going to be a great party for football, which is supposed to be, but um, since there haven't been any trouble in a while, there's not going to be any trouble now, even though England are going to play Russia in Marseille at 9 o'clock um, in the evening. But, however, I'm quite disappointed that uh, there doesn't seem to be a lot of help from the Russians or from the uh, from Eastern uh, Eastern Europeans to to say, okay, that guy's dangerous. Uh, you should, uh, if you if you ever see that he's in France, you should uh, you should uh, send him back uh, send him back home. It's uh, very um, it's very difficult to police, like I said, because anybody can can get in. It's not the same as in uh, as in Brazil, where they have to take the plane. Not the same as in uh, Russia and Ukraine, where they are. It's uh, it's a bit more more difficult as well. And uh, and also that uh, you know when if you've got a bunch of hooligans wanting wanting to co cause riots, I mean uh, nobody can 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 really stop them. I mean these guys, what they usually do is that they prepare things against other firms. Um, except that uh, on that occasion the Russians didn't prepare anything against anyone. They just thought, okay, we'll be we'll just beat up civilians, which is quite uh, which is quite uh, pathetic. Right now, all, all the French, uh, all the French authority um, can do is, uh, I mean, they, they can they can they can host a major tournament as they, they, they've done it um, before. Um, just yeah, just get get uh, get the numbers, uh, get more more people in there in uh, in really uh, heavy risk <coughs> game. And just hope that um, yeah, the, the the really bad people don't show up. Yeah, and the weather actually, actually the weather has a lot to has a lot to do with uh, with what's going to happen in the next couple of days because it wasn't it wasn't heaving in Marseille it wasn't uh, um, particularly hot like you couldn't walk in the sun but it was it was a nice weather it was a it was a nice day which you know is ironic but um, if it, if it rains like it it is raining here in Paris uh, for the next two days, it will definitely be less trouble in the streets because less trouble in less people in the bars in the uh, on the on the so-called uh, terrace and, uh, and stuff like that. So it'll be less enjoyable for the fans, and if it's less enjoyable, there'll be less fans in the streets of Lille and Lens. But I, I would I would I wouldn't be surprised if if uh, the uh, the English police do do do. Um, do send a lot of people, and actually, I've read reports unofficial that uh, they they uh, actually offered the French police to to uh, send some some guys there, experienced guys who know who know how to deal with crowd trouble, and the French police turned them down. And I'm I wouldn't be surprised if that's true. It is a it is a strange situation, and it's unfortunate that these things still seem to be happening in football. But uh, not to take blame of any side, really, because there's always bound to be idiots from any country. But uh, Hopefully, it will simmer down in the next couple of days and we can focus on what we should be focusing on, and that's the football. So we'll move on to that now because that's what we should be talking about, really. And France kicked off the Euros on Friday night, but it wasn't going all their way, despite taking the lead in the second half through Giroud. The hosts were pegged back by the Romanians from the penalty spot before that fantastic strike from Dimitri Payet saved the day late on. Jonathan, what was your take on their performance on opening night? Uh, I thought that it was probably as good as we could have expected. I know that we made a lot about how deep this France squad is, uh, how much talent there is, and you know there is plenty of talent. Nothing has really changed since the result. However, I think a lot of people forget that that was France's first competitive 
fixture uh, in Sorry. almost two years. Uh, you know, I think there were always going to be some nerves. Uh, you know, there's always going to be pressure on them as uh, as hosts uh, for this tournament. And I think that it was, uh, you know, there there were some uncomfortable moments. Uh, however, I think that overall it was the result that counted, and uh, and they managed to get that at the end of the day. Eric, what was your take? I mean, there was some moments where they looked a little bit disorganised, and in the second half, sometimes after that goal, they struggled to find that creative spark, and and it and it was up to Paye to to save the day in the end. Yeah, and it's it's a shame. I mean, Deschamps has you know shown no lack of willingness to experiment tactically. I mean, going back to playing the a four three one two with Pogba behind, uh, I believe it was Fekir and. Benzema at the time, and the match when Fakir got injured back in September, uh, but he continued to to show this experimentation, and I think that you know a lot of the the weaknesses of this team are stem from the way that the midfield operates. I mean, Pogba, you know, drifted in and out, and he played some really nice long passes, but and and had some nice dribbles as well. But in terms of actually forging a connection with the attacking players. Uh, he didn't seem he didn't seem to get that. It didn't seem that he and Griezmann in particular were on the same wavelength. I mean, Griezmann certainly worked hard to run about and, and, and find space, but there just didn't seem seem to be any sort of synchronicity between the two of them in particular. Uh, I felt that Blaise Matuidi, you know, was forced to do too much work in terms of uh, helping out Evra, uh, the Romanian right backs. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm blanking. Stepanaro was really getting forward and giving Ever a torrid time, which increased, uh, which had the knock-on effect of increasing Matuidi's uh, responsibilities in terms of helping to protect Ever. So he wasn't able to be as involved as he'd like. I mean, again, Matuidi is not going to be a goal-scoring threat, but just the fact that he's another runner to track is going to have is going to create more space for the attack. And I think that you know the the team actually looked a lot better uh, once Pogba came off, and I think that that's giving Deschamps you know a lot a lot of food for thought. And would this team be better playing uh, one of Marshall or uh, or Coman from the start? Uh, you know, personally, I favor Marshall. I think Coman's better as an impact substitute, uh, given his pace and trickery, uh, and and playing basically a four-two-three-one with uh, Pae operating centrally and Griezmann and Marshall on the wings and, and Giroud ahead of them. Uh, I agree. I agree with a lot of what's said, but I I do think that fatigue plays a massive part in all of this for France, not just for France as well. You know, for a lot of teams. I mean, uh, that there, there have been some very good games so far in this tournament, but there've also been some very disappointing ones. And it's hard not to feel that uh, you know the fatigue that a lot of these players have uh, have collected, accumulated over the course of the season. Uh, you know, is is not playing a part now. You know, of course it is. You know, you look at someone like uh, Griezmann. You know, Deschamps was even speaking at the be- uh, before the tournament even began, before uh, before Griezmann that even joined up with the squad uh, about how uh, you know um, how how Diego Simeone's uh, tactics, the way he likes to play at Atletico Madrid, really runs the players into the ground. He was trying to look at the positives um, for Griezmann in, in in the fact that you know it keeps him. Uh, you know, you know it, it gets him accustomed to, to to going long distances over the course of a season. But you've got to, you know, when when we're talking about people like Blaise Matuidi as well, uh, you know, it's not just been a particularly long season uh, for Matuidi this season with PSG. You know, he's had consecutive seasons where he's played sort of 50, 60, maybe even 70 games when you include international tournaments as well. It's you know, it's no wonder that uh, you know that some of these players struggle to struggle to perform when you know they're very near nearly uh, you know reaching burnout and the tournaments only just begun. 
Yeah, it's, it's it's such a long season for a lot of players, uh, Philip. But I do want to mention Griezmann again, who was criticised from some corners for his performance in the game. What did you think to how the uh, how the Atletico Madrid man performed? Um, I thought, well, uh, credit where first of all credit where it's due. I thought Romania defended uh, quite quite well. I didn't think he had a particularly particularly bad game. The, the only the only two players that I would. Um, Criticised maybe is um, is Pogba and uh, and Matuidi who uh, who weren't uh, as as good as we would expect them to be. Um, for for me, Griezmann, I would have I would agree with with John when whereas Griezmann has a massive season. I mean, a really really massive season, and he I wouldn't have been uh, against Deschamps starting Coman, even though I do I do reckon Deschamps would would favour starting Griezmann on the right hand side. Uh, starting coming against say uh, Romania and Albania, and uh, let Griezmann have uh, just just do light training for a couple of uh, couple of days, uh, and I think he, that would benefit uh, Griezmann uh, very much. So for uh, another game in uh, for the games in the knockout stages, but um, that's that's a risk because uh, we don't want to sound too uh, too arrogant and say we're going. Uh, it doesn't matter who we play. We're going to beat uh, our three opponents uh, and get uh, nine points out of nine, and be be very good. And so, uh, I, I I don't know. I, I I didn't find him particularly. I didn't didn't find him particularly bad. He could have done. He could have done a bit better. He, he probably should have scored the goal uh, where it was basically gaping, but. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's not it's not that bad a performance, I reckon. My, I think my only issue with with Griezmann, and it was it was more evident when he came off and Dimitri Payet moved a little bit more centrally, is that he didn't add any width. I mean, we've mentioned that Coman starting might be a good idea to give them that extra width, but uh, he seemed to pull inside a little bit too often and and look for those spaces that were where Giroud was trying to sort of move into and and try and find those bits. But let's talk. Another positive performance, and and Jonathan, we were talking about Conte possibly starting in that midfield role. I thought it was excellent, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's fantastic. You know, his ability to, um, you know, you know, to, to to collect the ball to bring it back into France's possession when they lose it is uh, is absolutely phenomenal, and he really anchors that midfield. I mean, Lissana Diarra brings so much uh, to the French midfield when he's fit and in uh, and in and on form, but I think uh, for what uh, Deschamps needs. Uh, his defensive midfielder to do. I actually think that Conte is uh, is is arguably a better fit than uh, than Diarra. Okay, he doesn't have the long passing ability that Diarra has, uh, you know, and doesn't have the the same goal threat necessarily. Uh, even though I wouldn't say that Lasana Diarra is you know a particularly prolific player either. Uh, but he he does have a very good short passing game, and I think that's taken many people by surprise because I think when you look at him, you just think that he's you know quite physical, quite athletic. Uh, but the thing that I think now limits France a bit is that you have um, two two similar players in uh, in Conte and Matuidi. Uh, you know, Matuidi is a is a bit more technically refined than Conte, uh, but you wouldn't say that either of them have the same uh, you know the same technique as uh, as, as the likes of a of a Paul Pogba or even a, a Johan Kabay. So. I think that the dilemma that Deschamps has now is that, that Conte is proving himself to be indispensable, certainly in the form that he's in at the moment off the back of a fantastic season for Leicester. Uh, and, you know, he's now got somebody like Blaise Matuidi who, who when fully fit uh, and rested, 
is indispensable is really struggling for form at the moment and has been for the last couple of months at PSG as well. You know, I believe it's because the because of the fact that he's completely run into the ground all the time by club and country. But regardless, uh, you know, Deschamps is in this situation now uh, and has to look at the uh, the performances that his players are putting in in front of him. Uh, and I would say that. Conte, you know, absolutely has to start at the moment. You know, he's he, he's looking, uh, fighting fit, uh, in great form. Uh, you know, and if he pr performs the same way that he did against Romania, uh, against the likes of Albania and Switzerland, you know, you can't see anybody dislodging him from that starting eleven for the rest of the tournament. Uh, and if Matuidi was to be uh, to be dropped from that starting eleven, which I don't think he will be just yet, but he could be uh, if he replicates the the Romania performance against Albania. Um, you know, you could move. Pogba over to the left is you know it's his preferred position when in in that midfield uh, and then you can bring somebody else into um, that midfield three on the right hand side if uh, you know if if Deschamps chooses to keep the same formation or you could change things around a little bit uh, you know and you could you could have Conte and, and and Pogba there and then you can have you know the likes of Paye, Coman and, uh, and and perhaps a Martial or or, or Griezmann if uh, if if he decides that Griezmann doesn't need a rest. Uh, and you know that that would change the 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 approach that France take. What yeah, about Kouassi Sweetie? Sorry, sorry uh, I'm not quite sorry, sure why. Quickly, it's sorry. I'll go, go with <laughs> Philip first quickly. <laughs> so, sorry, Harry. Uh, I'm uh, I'm not quite sure why Matuidi has been favoured because a really great point to to see is that Matuidi is, is being played where he usually plays at uh, at club level and in exactly the same formation. I don't watch Juventus, but it does look like Pogba is playing, is being played maybe in a, more in a 3-5-2, um, but he, he seems to be playing more more on the left-hand side of midfield. I'm not quite sure why it's Matuidi who gets, gets a nod in that preferred position. Maybe Pogba can be a bit more... You know, can do can do more more things, but it it really does sound from from the uh, from the friendlies against Cameroon and Scotland, and from the game on Friday evening, it really does seem like um, Pogba has has a lot of trouble positioning himself, uh, whereas Blanc doesn't. Uh, sorry, Blanc, uh, Deschamps doesn't seem to have to, a problem with Matuidi's positioning. It's just that Matuidi's performance are not as good as um, we know they can be. Well, I think I think the, the you know the issue with with Matuidi at the moment is that Deschamps has a lot of trust in him. He knows that he can rely on him, and when you know, and when he's not uh, worn out, he, you know, he's completely right to have that faith in him. He does come up with the odd goal more so than most uh, the the most of the midfielders, uh, you know. But the problem at the moment is fatigue, and you know, you mentioned how it might have been a good idea to uh, to rest Griezmann for the first couple of games, the group stage, uh, and then bring him in for Switzerland. I, I think it would have been a similarly smart idea with somebody like Matuidi, but you know, Deschamps still has two games left in the group stage and I think that maybe uh, leaving him out of the starting 11 uh, against Albania wouldn't be uh, the worst thing in the world because Matuidi when he is uh, you know fully fit and able to, to to focus on his football, he is he is an asset to have in that starting level. But when he's not, when he's running on empty, like he seems to be at the moment, uh, you know that's when you start to have the problems. That's when you really start to see uh, the limitations. Because when Matuidi is is able to play uh, with, with as much heart as we normally see for PSG, you know he's he's an almost unstoppable force. Eric, do you want to go ahead? Yeah. Well, what I would say is, if if I want to continue the four three three and privilege Pogba by playing on the left, I would start Schneiderlin and play. Uh, Kante and, and Pogba in, in the, the further forward of those two, the th three central midfield roles. I think that that, uh, you know, the Kante showed uh, during the most recent set of friendlies, uh, not the March ones, rather, uh, that he could play 
uh, more forward than at the base of midfield. And you know, Schneiderlin is not, I think, is not as adept at creating play on the counter in terms of turning defense into to offense, but as as Conte is. Uh, but I, I still think he can be a reliable shield for that back four. And given the energy that Conte has, that seems to me to be the most thing going, the best thing to do going forward. Uh, if 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 Deschamps does want to persist, persist with the same front three of Giroud, uh, Paillet, and, and Griezmann to play Conte and Pogba further forward and use Schneiderlin is in a defensive role. Uh, I don't know what, what y'all's opinion on that is, but it seems to me to make the most sense in terms of tactical continuity. I think that's a fair point. I think that's it makes an interesting ploy. And you've all, it's, it's very strange that you all have slightly different ideas on how France would go forward against that game and against Albania. And I wanted to uh, briefly talk about their opponents on uh, tomorrow night. Uh, Jonathan, Albania, although they lost against Switzerland and went down to 10 men because Lorik Sanna decided to be Lorik Sanna for a day, but... Um, they performed reasonably well, even though they went down to 10 men for a long period of that game. Yeah, they did. You know, I think they really found their feet after conceding the goal. That was, you know, that that was the real shame. You know, particularly uh, the goalkeeper uh, Barisha. You know, he he uh, you know, he really pulled off some fantastic saves, but you know, the mistake had already been made, and he was, uh, you know, they they were already down a goal at that point. I, I think the problem for Albania is scoring. I don't think it's so much, uh, you know. Um, Keeping teams out, although uh, the absence of Loic Sana might be, uh, you know, a problem on that front. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but I, I, th- I think the thing that France really have to be wary of at the moment is the fact that they've played Albania twice uh, relatively recently, and they didn't beat them either time. You know, they drew one-one when they played each other in Rennes, uh, and they lost one-nil uh, away in El Bassin. So I, you know, I think that that France really shouldn't be taking this game lightly at all. Uh, and I think that you know. Um, if, if Deschamps does decide to bring in a couple of uh, you know hungry players who are, who are on the fringes and, and, and looking to try and uh, nail down a place in the starting eleven, you know the likes of, of Martial and Coman, then I think it's definitely the uh, you know the right time to use them. Uh, you know, and I think having a bit more pace out wide as well would really benefit France uh, in this game. And you know, I think that Coman in particular, especially given the way that uh, you know we've seen him perform uh, in in recent games, uh, you know, is ideal for this sort of match. Yeah, and, and you mentioned there that Albania struggled to score as well, but um, Philip Jan Sommer had a very excellent game that kept them out for a good few opportunities, and like like Jonathan's mentioned, they've caused France problems in friendlies before. Oh, she beat us. Yeah. She beat us in, the, in a, actually, well, a qualifier that wasn't really a qualifier because we, we were always going, going to qualify because it was a host nation, but uh, to me they seem they seem like a very, um, a very much like, uh, like Romania... Uh, but probably a bit less less quality. Uh, so very very hard to beat. Very hard on the ball. And um, and no, I, I don't um, I don't think they should be taken lightly. But I really don't think the players um, are taking this lightly. Um, to to me to me it's uh, the, the players are quite focused. They seem to be quite focused on getting uh, this additional three points. And uh, and you know if uh, if uh, if we have any troubles, we just give the ball give the ball to Paye. So all is well. <laughs> that seems to always be the plan at the moment. But uh, Eric, just to finish off, they they, had, they do have to be careful of, of Albania's danger man, who put in some superb balls against Switzerland. He really did. Um, Elside Husaj from from Napoli. He's he's a really top right back, isn't he? Yeah, you know he got forward a lot more than I I would have expected. I mean, I, I've, I've seen Napoli play three or four times this season, and he he to me it always seemed a little bit more of a defensive minded player, but. 
the attacking impetus that he showed uh, on, on in the match against Switzerland was, was really impressive. And I think that, uh, you know, Albania need... I, I, I would say they probably need a point in this match. Uh, so if they can continue to go for it a little bit more and, and play and, and play and get at France a little bit more, you know, Romania showed their chances to be taken. I mean, let's not forget that the first real chance of the match on Friday evening was was did fall to Romania from a set piece. Uh, and you know, I wouldn't rule Albania out again. They're not going to be as solid defensively without Sana, even even given his dismissal. You know, he's the captain of the team is has a vast amount of experience. Uh, they are going to miss him in central defense, but you know I think that Albania might take that as a, as as a, as a chance to say well, you know we're we're so used to sitting back and we're so used to defending that if we can get at France a little bit more you know perhaps there is an opportunity to be, to be had there. And let's face it, if he if he can play in the overlap and get at Patrice Evra, who again you know did not have the best of matches for France, I think that really gives uh, Albania a decent shot to give France something to think about. Uh, I think that. You know, this has the potential to be, you know, certainly as equally troubling a match as uh, as Armenia was. Yeah, and also just to mention, that's also the side that Pae started against Romania. And he's not, whilst he scores spectacular goals, he's not ref- refined for his defending abilities as much. So it might be a, an area of concern for them. But um, if we all know how valuable a win can be, and if Albania can nick a goal, you may never know. It'll be a difficult game. But with almost every single team now having played in the European Championships, uh, Portugal and Ireland, Iceland sorry, are about to kick off in about 20 minutes just after the show. Um, we've had a quick glimpse of everyone now and how each team have set up early doors. So I just wanted to see who's impressed you and who's disappointed you so far. So I'll go I'll go with you first, Jonathan. Who has impressed you so far? Well I think uh you know certainly been impressed by Hungary. I thought that was a fantastic performance earlier, arguably uh, the performance of the tournament so far. Um just quickly followed by Italy. I really didn't expect very much from Italy at all. Um, but they, I mean, okay, I won't say pleasantly surprised because I thought it was a very, uh, it, it, you know, it was a very well organized, very, um, you know, strong at the back uh, sort of performance. I still think that they have problems going forward. Obviously, they didn't show that against Belgium, but I think it was um, partly because Italy were much better than many people expected. But at the same time, Belgium were much worse than many people expected. You know, it's a it's a collection of fantastically talented footballers, but there seems to be zero team chemistry there. So I would say that you know Belgium have been the real disappointment so far. Uh, Italy and Hungary definitely two of the two of the most impressive sides uh, for me. I th- you know I think Hungary in particular that's that's a really outstanding result. And if they can avoid defeat now and in, in their next uh, one or two games, then you know they'll be making it through to the latter stages, and it'll be fantastic to see exactly um, what they can do. Yeah, and it was a really interesting game earlier today. If you've not had a chance to catch it yet, it's absolutely one to watch. Um, Philip, who's who's given you, who stood out for you so far, team-wise? Um, I mean, I've been impressed with um, Ireland. I thought uh, I, w- I really wasn't expecting them to be uh, so uh, so good against Sweden. I was actually expecting Sweden to win this game quite easily. Um, I thought the other Norwich boys were were very. Uh, were very good, very, very energetic, and uh, it it wasn't it wasn't uh, like in in the qualifiers one that I did I did only watch the games against Germany. But I thought they were they were quite uh, good as a as a unit. Uh, very unlucky not to win the game, um, so I really do uh, I really do feel uh, for them. Um, I've we um, got Group A, B, C. Uh, po- actually, Poland haven't uh, haven't really. Um, been that 
uh, impressive. I think, I think they should have won by more. Northern Ireland were, were quite poor. Northern Ireland were basically what I expected Ireland to be to be playing like. It wasn't uh, it wasn't very um, particularly uh, particularly good. Um, and I saw, yeah, Croatia. Croatia have been impressed with uh, with as well. I couldn't, uh, couldn't watch the game, but uh, um, but I was quite impressed. And uh, Italy, of course, Italy. I thought uh, as as a unit, it it was so great to watch that team uh, play and uh, score two wonderful goals. The second one is uh, okay. It's an empty net almost, but uh, you know what 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 a volley. Um, I. Uh, just just to come back very very quickly, I think uh, we haven't praised enough Dimitri Payet, who uh, got an eight in league keep, um, and who deserves more. I know Eric wanted to give him a ten, and uh, I think the have... sorry. The only, the only thing I would say about the only thing that I would say about Payet, if I had to really be nitpicking, was his set piece delivery early in the game wasn't oh. particularly good. And I think if you can work on that a little bit, then you know, yeah, he's going to be getting sort of nines, tens in those games. But you know, to be able to uh, to deliver that sort of, or to produce that sort of finish, uh, you know, at that sort of moment with so much pressure on, you know, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And this this meteoric rise of his is is just phenomenal. And you do wonder, uh, realistically, if he keeps contributing for France in the way that he has been so far, uh, if West Ham are going to be able to keep hold of him, uh, you know, for for the start of next season, because it looks unlikely at the moment. You know, Pay has has exploded into a, a bona fide uh, Premier League star and. You know, at 29 years of age, there's not that much longer left for him to make a move to a really big club. So if one comes yeah. in this summer, you know, you could probably see him wanting to go. Yeah, and, and the one guy we we really should be criticising a lot is Ever. I thought he was extremely poor and uh, showed his. Uh, I mean, it's it was, for for that founder penalty, is that guy even experienced? I mean, how can you make such a foul when you've got? I don't know how many caps he's got, but he's got quite a lot. Uh, and uh, he's been criticised for his. Uh, you know, for his action in uh, in the World Cup six years ago, and you wouldn't expect that guy to be a, a hindrance defensively. You would, I mean, people. The way Rami has been uh, uh, um, completely killed in the press, and, and from what for, from what I've been hearing as well, uh, you, I mean, it, it really does seem like Ever got got away with it and got away with murder. I mean, had Rami made that foul, uh, people were going, would have been going overboard. They'd say uh, Deschamps needed it for starting him anyway, but Ever basically got got away with it. Yeah, it, and it was a really, really bad, bad foul. And of course, yeah. we forgot it because Payet scored this wonderful goal. <laughs> I think he. I mean, I, I really think he. He's very. He's very lucky not to get to, not to get killed in the press. I mean, Lee Keeper, I right, think, gave him a three. Um, and yeah, doesn't yeah, deserve more. It was a little bit silly, wasn't it? But we'll, <laughs> while while Pai has been there. Been superb. We all just remember that that goal really stands out from that game. But Eric, I think we've mentioned before how we've enjoyed defensive teams, and I'm sure you would have enjoyed that display from Italy. But was there anyone else that you impressed you as well? Yeah, I think we've pretty much combed over all the teams. But I tell you who really stood out to me. I think that is a player that people may have forgotten about, given given the the way that the MSN have played at Barcelona is Andres Iniesta. Uh, I thought he was absolutely fantastic uh, in that match against the Czech Republic. You know, not only the assist for PK's goal, but consistently, you know, creating space and creating runs and just doing, you know, let's let's face it, this this player was came third in the Ballon d'Or uh, a few years ago, and he's he's still, you know, this is probably one of his last tournaments, if it's not his last tournament uh, at a top level. He'll be 34, I believe, by the time the next World Cup comes around, so his effectiveness will probably be somewhat limited by that point, but. Uh, 
just really showing that this Spain team, you know, again lacking the focal point that it always does, uh, is still dangerous, and that's that's down to his individual skill. So I think that. Uh, for me, you know, other than Paye, I think Iniesta has been the standout individual over the first few uh, few matches of the tournament. Uh, Turkey, I think, were probably my disappointment. Uh, I, I thought they'd give Croatia a little bit more uh, with Chanaloglu and Tehran on the wings. You know, that's that's a you know that's a dangerous midfield, but they just really couldn't put it together. Uh, I mean, Croatia again, you know, looked great. Modric was his typical best. Uh, the goal, notwithstanding, just great box to box energy. Um, so that, I mean that's kind of what I've taken away from the tournament so far. Um, I, I think that you know Iniesta is definitely well known name, but you know probably hasn't gotten the press that he was getting two or three years ago uh, prior to the arrivals of uh, Neymar and Suarez to Barcelona. Yeah, uh, just before you go, Jonathan, I just wanted to ask you the last quick question: who was who was your disappointment really from this first week? Well, like I said, you know, I thought Belgium were extremely disappointing. Uh, I was also disappointed with Austria, considering that I backed them as dark horses before the tournament. I, you know, I really didn't expect them to to be beaten the way that they were by Hungary. But you know, by the same token, you really have to praise Hungary for the performance they put in. So I find it a bit harsh. Um, saying that the both Hungary were, were one of my biggest surprises and that Austria were one of my biggest disappointments because I think if I say Austria is one of the biggest disappointments, it kind of detracts a bit from uh, from Hungary's uh, you know from, from Hungary's achievements. Yeah, but for me, you know, I think that uh, the Belgium really were the big disappointment. I agree with Turkey as well. I thought that you know I, I expected a lot more from them. Uh, you know, I expected a lot more intensity. Uh, you know, I expected that game against Croatia to become a bit more of an event. Uh, and Sweden as well, you know, very, very disappointing, very flat. And considering um, how easy things looked on paper going into the tournament with Italy naming such a weakened squad, I think that performance against Belgium is really going to have Sweden concerned now. Uh, you know, if they weren't initially targeting third place uh, best in the group, you know, I think that they're probably going to be thinking that they're going to be lucky to get that now, uh, considering that they've already played what was supposed to be their easiest game, uh, you know, and they're essentially looking at the at, at the Belgium game, hoping that, you know, that's going to be the one where they're going to be able to get enough points uh, to get out of the group, uh, you know, so I think that, that Sweden really have a job on their hands now to avoid uh, being the team that finishes uh, bottom of that group. Yeah, and thank you for joining us again, Jonathan. It's been it's been great having you on. Remember, everyone at home, follow him at John underscore Legossip. He's always a great leader. Thank you for joining us. Great. Thanks a lot for having me on, guys, and speak to you soon. Yeah, speak to you soon. I just wanted to mention, really, some of the teams that I, have impressed me as well during this tournament. I mean, a lot of them have been touched upon. Italy were sensational last night, especially at the back. Those three from Juventus and Buffon, obviously, were absolutely sensational at times and were really steady as a rock and well, Belgium at the same time made it very easy for them I thought Croatia were excellent they really should have scored more than they did but Luka Modric and Ivan Rakitic arriving anyone in world football really as a centre midfield partnership for, for a nation and I have to give some props to um, the, my second country as I, as I like to call them and Wales I thought Especially in that first half, they really showed a gutso and and a, and a strength against a, a decent Slovakia team. Have caused other teams problems like Germany and Spain in recent times, and they pulled a result out of the bag that essentially in this kind of tournament where four third place teams will go through, a win almost guarantees your qualification. And it really, really is a is a strong moment for Wales, and 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 I'm really happy for them as long as they uh, don't win the game on Thursday. But uh, Philip, who's disappointed you so far? Um, 
you know, with, with all this action, I haven't been able to, to watch uh, to watch that much. <laughs> I guess I've been disappointed by Russia because uh, they were they were quite um, they were quite uh, what would we say they fought with their with uh, with what they with what they had. Uh, Northern Ireland were too negative. I don't you know it's the same thing. They can't you can't really expect Northern Ireland with the squad they have to to be to be competing with it with a with a team like Poland. I'll tell you one thing, um, I was actually quite uh, impressed in the first half with Ukraine against Germany and Neuer pulled out a couple of worldies, um, much, much, uh, probably the best saves of the tournament so far, I would say, um, the, the saves he pulled out uh, against uh, the Ukrainians in the end of the first half, and um, yeah, uh, but then, then Tony Kroos, which is a player who I really thought uh, who I really think he should, uh, you know, up his game and become Germany's, um, basically be German, Germany's guy who says, okay, uh, we up the tempo now, and uh, okay, we we sit sit deep now, and he's really done that in the second half. I I believe the Germans got got right rollicking by Yogi Love um, at half time. Um, and and then uh, Germany just were all over Ukraine, and Ukraine couldn't do anything. It just could not get on the ball. Uh, Neuer was not particularly worried after that, and I was quite I was quite impressed. And yeah, maybe maybe I would I would um, I would have thought Ukraine would have had more reactions to Germany's reaction. Um, but there's a game Ukraine versus Poland, which will be in Marseille. Hopefully, it won't it won't be as bad as uh, as the last one. Um, Ukraine versus Poland is, is going to be quite good. Two very solid units, and uh, to me, um, the winner of that of that one will uh, will finish um, will finish second, and that will be a pretty uh, pretty good uh, pretty good game, I would think. It uh, it should be it should be quite uh, quite interesting. I can't really um, I can't really uh, say much about Group D uh, as uh, haven't uh, haven't been able to watch. Belgium were extremely dip- disappointing, obviously. Very, very, di- very disappointing in um, in Lukaku as well. You know, we've been talking about him him turning at PSG, and uh, I think it just shows his uh, his limit right now. Uh, Azar Azar has uh, has played like he plays for Chelsea. Uh, De Bruyne was uh, you cannot really recognise De Bruyne, but uh, you know it's it's always the same thing. Yeah, we we praise Italy a lot, uh, criticise Belgium a lot, um, and I'm not qu- quite sure it's a case of Belgium being bad. Um, just uh, just having enough day. I think it's Belgium being bad because Italy were quite good. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's it. And yeah, Austria. Uh, yeah, mm. Austria were not uh, were not quite uh, quite up to uh, quite up to scratch. But I wouldn't put it past them to uh, to have a, st- a strong reaction against uh, against Portugal. That's a difficult game for them to to have mm. to bounce back in, really. But Eric, you mentioned Iniesta then as someone who's impressed you. Is there anyone else individually who's impressed you during this tournament, or anyone who's probably lived not lived up to the expectations you were setting of them? Um, you know, it's hard to say. I, I again, you know, in, from an individual perspective, I think going back to Spain, I think Nolito. Uh, didn't have the best game. I mean, he was—he's someone that's been talked up quite a bit before the tournament, um, and I had a wonderful season at Celta Vigo. Had been linked with a move to Barcelona. Uh, he didn't really impress me that much in that match. Seemed to just be getting Iniesta's way for the most part, not really creating space. Um, elsewise, uh, 
there's not too much I could pick out on an individual level. I, I think that, uh, you know, Lukaku, yeah, I, I'd agree with that as well. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, not so much. I, I think that on the whole, this tournament's been, you know, really enjoyable. I don't think that, you know, other than perhaps Austria today uh, and Turkey, there have, haven't been too much in the way of team performances that have disappointed me. I think that the, the teams have really played up to their level or, or, or surpassed it. Uh, I think that that's made for a really enjoyable tournament. Um, so there's not too much negative that I put, a, I put towards the tournament in a negative fashion. Uh, you know, Portugal and Iceland can still disappoint us in, in a few minutes' time. I mean, given Portugal's uneven history in re the recent past in major tournaments. But, you know, now that uh, Hungary have won, have won I, I think that really throws that group open. I mean, whichever one of those teams can come out and, you know, grab the brass ring, as it were, and really put themselves in a good position to win that group. Um, you know, Hungary played out of their skulls today, but, you know, I can still see them coming bottom, you know, depending on how results go over the next uh, week or so. Uh, but, yeah, just a lot of enjoyable football, and I think that, you know, you know again, the way that this tournament's set up, nobody's out of it yet. Um, so uh, there's a lot to look forward to in the next, uh, the next week or so. Yeah, there has been a couple of players that have impressed me, and I'm I'm going as I as I tend to do for the for the younger slant of players, and the uh, the one that really impressed me in the Portugal in the, sorry not Portugal in the Poland game was um, Kapuczka, the midfielder, who still plays in Poland. He's a uh, just about to turn 20, I believe, um, who started instead of Zielinski, who's had a superb season for Empoli on loan from Udinese and has been linked with a move to Liverpool, who I thought would start that game. But clearly the Polish manager knows a little bit more than I do. And this uh, Kaputska was absolutely excellent. I mean, especially in the second half when he got on the ball a little bit more. He moved possession very well. He used the ball cleverly. He was, qu he was quick thinking. He, he, he made them shift up a gear and with... Malik finding that bit of space because Lewandowski was treated like a prisoner um, under house arrest by two defenders and scoring, he eventually found the space for the goal as well. I thought Kabuczka really added that extra dimension to Poland that they'd struggled for at times to break Northern Ireland down. The other player I just wanted to briefly pop on, and it was on a team that you've mentioned, Eric, and I agree that we're really poor. I mean, Turkey were really, really disappointing, but... I was really excited when uh, Emre Moore came on the field. I thought even though his cameo was relatively short, it was about 20 minutes or so, I thought it was really, really exciting. Every time he touched the ball, he would, he'd got quick feet. He wanted to move forward with the ball and attack and try and do something a little bit different and add that extra dimension that they'd struggled to have up front. And that, It's so strange with so many good attacking players in that Turkey team that they never really seem to to really trouble Croatia at any point but I think he looks like an excellent young player I know Borussia Dortmund have just signed him and yet again that seems to be another cracking piece of business for them that's another young player they can put in the locker to their <laughs> very crazy quick attacking football that they love to play but Philip is there anyone else that on a particular individual level I mean the one I quite like to mention, and, and I don't know if you'd like to talk about it because you watched it live, is I thought Wayne Rooney had a very excellent game in midfield for England. You know, lots of people have said that he got he got a seven on the keep. I don't see. I mean, yeah, he got a good first half, but uh, second half he was as um, active as uh, Harry Kane. He he was he was knackered. He was absolutely knackered. He could he, he just could not run. 
the only guy who could win was Sterling, and he lost the ball because uh, either he had to wait for the players to to uh, keep the pace with him, which he didn't, uh, or he uh, he just got uh, eaten by the as a fullback or Bezutsky. I mean, sure, he had a, a fine first half, but really a uh, a good game. I, w- I wouldn't say it was a it was a good game. No, I mean, I, I'm I'm quite surprised. I mean, what what did he actually do in the second half? What does anyone do the question. second half? It's probably the right. It's probably the right question. I thought I thought he controlled the game very well. Personally, I don't mm-hmm. know. I know Eric, you watched the game as well. Did, what did you think to Rooney's game? I thought I thought he controlled the tempo of England's play quite well from that midfield area. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, I think if this is a role he can he can adapt, and he's. I mean, this to me, honestly, you know, Wayne Rooney's not exactly been known for his maturity down the years, but I think that, you know. He's now that he's the elder statesman on the team, along with James Milner. Um, you know, I think that he's really matured in this role, and I I think that he's showing a willingness not to be self-centered, but uh, but to to put himself in a role where he can do what the team needs, not and not you know whether it's not necessarily the ideal use of his talents, but he recognizes the ability of the likes of Kane and and Vardy, even though Vardy didn't play, uh, to 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 be to make the team a more effective and cohesive whole and. You know, let's let's face it. I mean, England, I think, are still probably favorites to win this group. Um, but you know, the more this team can can learn to, to grow together and play in these these new roles, I think that they've got a real chance to maybe do something beyond the the, uh, the habitual quarterfinals in this tournament. Yeah, and it's it's a really interesting dynamic in that group with with Wales getting that win and and teams facing off each other. But I just before the end, if we finish yet? Yeah. Sorry, carry on, Philip. I'm, I'm quite. Um... Uh, sympathetic with um, with Deli Ali because I thought he uh, he didn't have a we didn't see him all that much, but uh, that the um, combination of England setup did not suit him. I really do think that Rooney is a world class second forward, second striker, sorry, as in a number a number ten, and that Ali probably shouldn't have been playing where he was playing. It it didn't didn't really suit him. Not that he had a bad game. But uh, I think if you if you would have put him in a different kind of formation, he would have had a much better game. And speaking of formation, it's uh, I find it extremely uh, odd that Hodgson uh, plays a four-two-three-one uh, for most of his England tenure. Then for Sweden, he's, he goes to dimension four, uh, four-four-two. But he doesn't know doesn't really know how to use it because he plays the two forwards um, uh, tracking back on the fullbacks, which which uh, really is. Uh, Complete nonsense, and uh, and then he goes back to a four-two-three-one uh, in a very important game at the Euros against Russia. And well, I'm sorry, but I mean, I don't see England going far. I don't see England winning it. I've never seen England winning it because of uh, uh, for uh, uh, mental strengths. I mean, I, I I'm I'm quite convinced that if they do meet France or Germany or Spain, that they don't get knocked out. But uh, Christ, they, they could have done with better preparation formation-wise, because you 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 got you got Hodgson saying uh, stupid things like formations don't don't win you football games. Players do. It's just like what what's your, what what is your job? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's uh, a very you know it's very harsh on Deli Ali. I don't know what what your opinion on on this is, uh, guys, but uh, it's extremely harsh on him. I mentioned on the preview show beforehand that I think we should play four-one-two-one-two because it it suits the mm. players that we have a little bit better. But uh, just yes, but just, does Hudson know how to play it? 
No, <laughs> that yeah, would that, that was my that, worry for that it. That is that yeah. is a problem. That is quite a big problem. Yeah. Uh, just before we go, really, uh, Philip, I just wanted to get very quickly, since you weren't on the show last week, quick predictions is who do you think will win the tournament? You get an uh, advantage of a week extra. <laughs> yeah, you... Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so you both predicted Germany to do very well, you, yourself and Christian. I, uh, I, it, it depends on, on, uh, on the mentality as well. I think France are going to win it, um, as uh, the players will uh, will go from strength to strength. Uh, I had Belgium as favourites, and I thought they would uh, not destroy hit Italy, but uh, play um, really, really better than they did um, last night. And I can't really see winning it between France. Uh, who's who else is going to win it between um, except France, Germany? Uh, France or, or Germany, maybe Spain. I haven't seen Spain play, so it's a bit a bit hard to say. But I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say France. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much. So thank you. That's all for this week. My thanks to Eric, Philip, and Jonathan for joining us this evening, and thank you to everyone tuning in at home. Let's hope that for the next three weeks we don't have quite as many incidents off the field and things get back to things on the pitch. Uh, Abianto, everyone, and goodbye.